Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. I've added this note to the beginning of my most recent and highest downloaded episodes to let you know of a few changes and hopefully avoid any confusion for you as listeners. You will hear me call the show Life After Business as well as reference various ventures I've been a part of over the years. When I started the show, I originally named it Life After Business because I was on a mission to learn everything I wish I would have known before we sold our family business back in 2014. And after 200 episodes and Tons of information that I've learned. I finally decided to change the name to better reflect me, the content, and the guests. One of the biggest lessons I've learned is business owners and entrepreneurs who were the happiest and most successful, in my mind, didn't focus only on sucking all the cash out of the company, and they knew the business was going to eventually continue on without them at some point in time. They literally knew exactly what they wanted from their business long term and why. They intentionally focused on building a valuable company so they could have the freedom of choices to do what they wanted from the business. So they focused on strategies that would grow value long term and give them the freedom to choose. You can learn more about the name change, my major lessons, and our definition of intentional growth in episode 200. Enjoy the episode that you're listening to right now, and thanks for being a listener. Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand how to increase the value of your business, what your company is worth, and what your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business and take pride in a valuable company that gives you freedom and choices to exit on your terms. Thanks for tuning back in. This is episode 199. And before we dive into today's interview with Mike Lee, who is a successful entrepreneur and author about how to reinvent yourself in times of transition and find your life's purpose, I'm just asking for the next two minutes as I give you an update about the podcast and what journey we're about to embark on together. And it is officially the last episode of the podcast under the title of Life After Business. Huge deal for me, super terrified, super scared. I want to make sure that I'm being true to you, my listeners, because we've got a base of thousands of downloads every single week, and I want to make sure that you're still getting value and you're getting the things that you need out of me and my guests. The podcast is going to be renamed intentional growth. And it's about how to grow the value of your company with the end in mind, because we all want choices and freedom. That's the whole point of being an entrepreneur and a business owner. And that is the biggest takeaway I've had for four years of doing interviews is the freedom of choices comes with having a valuable business that you have built with intention. So next week, we'll kick it off with the new cover and the new title and the episode where my business partner, Pat, will be interviewing me about the name change and about what does intentional growth mean and how does that integrate into the five principles. And I absolutely intend to produce a weekly episode for the foreseeable future with amazing guests that are thought leaders, educators, entrepreneurs that have grown and sold, specific technical people that have great advice about how you as an entrepreneur can learn how to grow the value of your company with the end in mind. And we bring a filter of the five intentional growth principles to this so that way we can have context to it. So we don't just have random topics of someone that's going to dive into an ESOP or someone that's going to dive into acquiring companies or like today's guest, someone that's going to dive into finding your life's purpose and your life's mission statement. All of those different concepts fall into line neatly inside of the five principles. So you can use the five principles as a resource and a lens to make decisions, to make sure that you're headed in the right direction according to what you've identified is important. And then you can build the strategic plans to grow value to go get that and have the choices to accomplish what you want. 
If you want to learn more about the five principles, check out our website, arcona.io. We have tons of material on the five principles. And then if you want to assess how intentional you're being right now, check out our assessment. You can text 66 866. Text the word intentional and we'll shoot you an email where there's a 20 question multiple choice assessment or you can go to arcona.io slash assessment. 20 questions. It'll spit out a score with some material and a video that we created on different results. And then you'll get what we call the intentional growth vision board, which is one page that ties all of your intentional growth principles onto one page. So now about today's episode and what does Mike Lee have to say with us about what do we want from our business, from our lives, and how do we identify our life's purpose statement? So why is this important right now and what are you going to learn from the interview with Mike? Well, it's important because we are in a time where lots of decisions are getting made by entrepreneurs all across the country and across the world about What are you investing in? How are you pivoting your business? Some decisions that you're making are going to have ramifications way long term from if you're acquiring and bringing on debt, whether you're doubling down and pivoting product lines, whether you're making decisions about employees, who to keep, who to let go, who to bring in, tons of decisions and making sure that you have the correct decision-making resources and principles in line is crucial. So you don't wake up three to five years from now going, I don't like my business. I don't like my life. I wish I would have done something different. And the worst case scenario is it's not worth what you want it to be worth. Well, what are you going to learn from this episode? And what is Mike's background? Well, I'll start with Mike's background. He is a successful entrepreneur and author. So he started his consulting career at Enron. We all know how that unfolded. And then he started his own consulting company where he faced a traumatic brain injury that got him really asking, what do I want from this business? And he ended up selling that consulting company where he is now an executive at the company called Point B. And Mike's here to share with us tools that we can use to help us identify what is our life's purpose statement and then how do we use our big vision for our life as a guide to all the decisions that we have to make, especially in hard times. So there's practical advice on the things that you need to be asking yourself right now to determine whether you're on track from what you want from your business and from your life. And Mike helps us break through the myths and then the the psychobabble that we tell ourselves as entrepreneurs as we get tired into the sunk cost fallacy of the business that we've built, the way we've always done things, the role or the title that we've given ourselves, and how to break all of those chains to say, what is it that I want? And then how do I go get it? And I think now is a better time than ever because we have a catalyst with COVID and the new norm that we're living in to do the hard work, ask what we want, and then rip through and reinvent ourselves because everybody's in the same process as you are. The first step to being intentional is understanding what do you want out of your business and your life. That is the first principle. And I think Mike has a fantastic interview here to be giving you the questions that you need to be asking yourself. So without further ado, here's my interview with Mike Lee. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Two days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Two days at Arcona's Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the rest of your journey as an entrepreneur. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you today? Doing good. And obviously we were talking about what's going on because that's, you know, when there's something like this, we talk about, you know, what's actually happening with the virus and the economy versus the weather. So it's, it's, it's the one thing that I think everything, uh, every conversation I have starts with, but 
I think you're about to bring the listeners, uh, you know, not only your journey um, through multiple companies and then the book that you wrote and like how to have a different perspective and how to use some of the tools that I think you're, you're going to be sharing on, on times like this, but even good times. So, you know, for Mike, for the listeners that are not familiar with you, your book, your, your background, let's kind of just give us the cliff note version and then we can kind of start from the beginning of your journey and, and bring, your, bring yourself forward. All right. Thanks a lot, Ryan. I really appreciate, appreciate you having me. So yeah, so uh, my story is uh, I grew up, I grew up in, in South Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia. Went to high school up there, played uh, soccer, went to college um, in, uh, at Virginia Tech. Supposed to be a mechanical engineer, uh, which you'll, is important when we kind of talk <laughs> about, you know, thinking intentionally about building something. Kind of what I've realized is that sort of mind is is kind of where I come from. But when I went to, went to college, uh, I basically went down to try out for the team. And the guys told me, if you do engineering and soccer, you'll have no social life. So I decided, <laughs> um, they said, pick two of the three, because you can't do three at a high level. So I picked social and soccer and switched into business. <laughs> changed all my That's classes. Uh, yeah, changed all my classes and then called my dad and, and told him what I did. What was your explanation? <laughs> was it I well? My, my explanation, really, the conversation was kind of short because I, I found out later he was very upset. <laughs> but uh, the conversation was that in order to do soccer, I needed. I, I had decided I was going to switch into business and that I was going to major in accounting because um, you know math was my thing. And and uh, but what really happened was when I went to the bookstore, I, I looked at the calculus book for engineering, and it was about three inches thick. And the the one <laughs> calculus book for bit the calculus book for business was about an inch thick. So, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those twists and turns where you look back later and say that. It, it, my dad and I both now say it probably turned out because I do love business and I have enjoyed and love business consulting now for for almost thirty years. So I um, I went to work for Arthur Anderson right out of uh, undergrad, went to work in audit, did kind of financial statement, hardcore financial analysis type of work for two years, which was a great learning experience, very black and white, understand how companies well, black and work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I did that for a couple years. And then uh, what happened was Arthur Anderson was starting up their consulting business when Anderson Consulting started splitting off. And so I went to work for a former McKinsey strategy partner doing corporate strategy and consulting. And so I kind of got the boot camp on strategic planning uh, from her, uh, which I, you know, look back on as, as one of the most uh, formative times of my life. And I switched after she left, I kind of switched into my roots, which was doing strategic work for CFOs of big companies, like doing imagine what your finance function could look like in this large company five years from now, articulate that, write it down, write the story in the future and be intentional about building that. Uh, so cool. a roadmap to do that and then, and then uh, making it happen. So that's been pretty much my whole career has been in large complex projects with big companies. It's, it's kind of what I call my day job. I love doing it. I love working with clients and solving complex problems. I like doing thinking three or three years ahead and helping my client get there. That's kind of my day job. And then I, I would say on my um, on on the side on nights and weekends or at lunch break, like we are today for me on the East Coast, I, I've discovered with my background in faith, uh, with my faith, um, I'm a Christian, I've discovered 
that my purpose in life is to help other people find their purpose. And uh, that's what the book has been about is kind of the result of sharing and, and working with clients over the years who went through career transition, sharing my own experiences with those difficult transition points and how and basically laying out a process or a methodology for how someone can discover what their purpose in life is. And so that's really how the book, kind of the main idea behind the book. And, um, you know, it's, it's not something I thought I would ever do, uh, especially while starting up a company, selling a company and um, integrating uh, a company in the last five years. But that's, that's what happened. And it's been uh, really a blessing to see how it's uh, touched different people in different ways. So, and I want to get into some of the, the, you know, the, the meat of the stories of how you grew, sold, you know, integrated and and some of the growth and exit stories in the companies, but, you know, to go back and just to, cause of kind of meet you where you're at with this book and in helping people find their purpose where, and I think as you tell your stories might get, might um, shed some light on this, but like, why, where did that come from? Right. You know, as, have you, as you've been like strategically helping finance people build their strategic plans, probably a lot of technical stuff that you've done over the last 30 years, how did purpose spin out of that? And like, what were the challenges that you saw that led you to, to the book? Yeah, great question. So, um, so really it, it like, I think like a lot of times happens in life is it, it's not something, it's something that, that happened over a 15 year period, uh, really it became uh, where my purpose became clearer and clearer. It really started off with um, just a heart for helping people. So it might be the CFO of a Fortune 50 company that tells me, you know, a year from now, I'm going to be making a transition. I'd like to get your your help in thinking about what I should do next. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it comes from recruiting, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people over the years and when when recruiting them or interviewing them, thinking about how do I help this person find what their real thing is, uh, whether or not that's with me or not. So a lot of lot of discussions, probably, frankly, I, I'm pretty sure thousands of discussions like that. And and really just uh, my own experiences of going through um, three kind of very um, pivotal career transition moments where. And actually, in um, two of the three cases, like through no fault of my own, I was forced into transition. And and I'll I can cover those in more detail. But basically, what I learned through the process of instead of going and finding a job, I need to articulate what it is I should be doing with my life, uh, what how I want to prioritize my family, uh, how I want to prioritize my faith, what are the other things that are important to me, and then what are the things that work that really put a smile on my face? What do I love to do? And what is my highest and best use? And, and then all of those things kind of mixed together, articulating, you know, what you want to be about and what kind of uh, legacy you want to leave, um, whether that be three years out or 30 years out. That's, that's kind of where it came from. And I guess that's kind of the part of the story. The other part of the story is, I'll, I'll tell you succinctly, and then you can ask me some questions about it. But <laughs> I was working on a project in Costa Rica called One by One. It's, uh, it's where all the proceeds from the book are going to. It's a charity that we started with another family, the Wyatt family in San Jose, with a church that we helped start. And uh, probably eight years into the work we were doing down there, 
it's a soccer program for kids that can't afford to play on a soccer field. We sponsor uh, the fields and the coaches. And, um, and so eight years into that, my pastor down there pulled me aside and said he had a message for me. Uh, He wasn't talking about the mail. He was saying um, (laughs) God had been speaking to him and he had a message for me. And he delivered a message to me, which was that I needed to tell my testimony about what God had done in my life and the life of my family. Um, And that was, that was what the the direction was. And so um, it took me, Five years from that point to um, actually, I'm sorry, it took me three years from that point to to get to the point where I'm on the phone with you with a book that was published in February this this past February. So it was really being obedient to that calling because um, Pastor Badia, who's our pastor down there, uh, told me this message and then confirmed that he wasn't messing around when he um, said to me, "Mike, it's like David's heart." So David's heart from Scripture. He he was. Uh, he had a heart for God. And what Pastor Padilla didn't know was that I had written a book that hasn't been published called David's Heart. And um, it was just God's way of giving me a wink to say, this is, this is for real. So anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the real story. Well, and, and I, and I want to dive into different parts of this. And from the like the actual mechanics of the you know the growth and the sale of the companies, but then also the the purpose and the, the the emotional journey too. Because what I find interesting, Mike, is you know I started this podcast almost four four years ago now, and uh, it's called Life After Business because of what you just described. <laughs> it's like there mm-hmm. was so much of my purpose, and my identity in the business, and then I was lost, and then there's also the the money factor, right? And they are very integrated, I think. In in then the, our whole goal at our business now is to help people be able to make those choices, like, but also quantify them. But I think, you know, it has to start with where you're talking about where, what the heck do you want? Because when you, until you sit down and intentionally say, this is what I want for my life and my legacy and for all these different things, things are just going to happen to you. Right. And like, you're going to wake up afterwards. Like we woke up after the business. I was like, well, that I wish I wouldn't have done all these things, <laughs> and but it's it, you just can't redo it. And so, yeah, in order to be able to to get what you want, you have to articulate what you want. And I think that's what you know with your book being able to help people figure that out is it's introspective work and it's hard. So, how do you know? Maybe like what is what is the the guts of the book? And then maybe the, I don't know which direction you want to go first of like whether you want to talk about the the transition and the the, the forced transition and how you started building this knowledge before you packaged it up. Yeah. So I mean, I guess I guess one of the things. So one of the things that's you know in writing the book that was really important to me was to write it in a way um, that anyone would want to read it. So that it that anyone whether they have the same faith background that I do or they have a completely different faith background, or they have no faith background. It was really important to me to, to write it in a way that anybody would want to read it. And so the way that, I mean, I, I actually have to say, like, uh, I've already given Pastor Padilla proper credit. I give God proper credit. Um, I'm going to give uh, a lady named Janet Toma proper credit because she uh, was in the publishing industry with Thomas Nelson for 30 years. And she was the one that helped me really take the idea that I had and formulate the, the main idea, which is to help people find their purpose in life. And then to, to construct a book that, that someone would pick up and want to read cover to cover. So, 
So the, the, the way it worked out was it starts off with a couple of stories. It actually starts off with the Enron story. So I was at Arthur Anderson and made partner, you know, woohoo, big success. <laughs> two, yeah. two weeks before Enron happened. Two weeks so, before. <laughs> so when you talk about like, you know, dealing with unexpected things in your life, I mean, that, that was kind of one of the, the first really big ones for me was, you know, you're kind of at the top of the, you know, the mountain, and then quickly you're tumbling down into the valley, right? You're, you're, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to be out of a job in, in uh, four months. In fact, you know, over 80,000 people had to go find other work in that time frame, And then, uh, so that's what I call like, that's what I call the fire, right? Or the, uh, another phrase in consulting we use is the burning platform. And <laughs> what the burning, what the burning platform means in business consulting is until things get hot or, or stressful or tough, you're not really willing to change. You're not willing to change your business. You're not willing to change your, what you're doing personally. But when things get hot, you know, you get pretty creative. And so uh, that, that's kind of the, the fire. But what, what, I, what I have a passion for now is helping people not just go from the frying pan into the fire. So what I mean by that is if you don't articulate like what it is you're really looking for, you just go looking for another job. That is a um, that's a binary decision. You uh, you find a you find an opportunity. The company uh, makes you an offer, and you either accept it or you don't. It's it's yes or no. What what I'm laying out in the book is a process for articulating the requirements for your life that are not just about your work. They're about your family. They're about could be your faith. Could be other things that are important to you personally. Things you do in the community. Um, your family, your friends. And then once you've articulated what success looks like in all those elements, mm -hmm. then you then you go about uh, looking for for work. <laughs> and so there's a novel so idea, like, right? <laughs> it is. It sounds really simple. No, but I love I it. I will tell you some of the some of the smartest people I've ever worked with in my life have not have gone through the process of looking for a job and and have not done this. And they end up going from one stressful job to another stressful job. Or, so, or so, like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, that's why, that's why 80% of the U.S. workforce, I think it's, yeah, it's 80% yep. of the U.S. workforce, according to Gallup, is unfulfilled in the work that they do. And to me, that, that is staggering. Holy you know, that's just staggering. You think, well, you think about that. You think about the, the, the moms and the dads coming home at night and, and, the way they show up for their families and not being happy in what they just did all day. It's, it's really, you know, it contributes to anxiety and depression and all these other things. So, so that's really where, where, where I've realized now that the book is, is completed and I'm starting to see how people are processing it. But what's so cool, Ryan, is that no two people's story is the same once they get, they go through this process. I don't say, Hey, go do what I did. I say, be intentional about articulating what you need to do, what your unique gifts and talents are, what you have passion around, and then go and then go be intentional about doing that. So that's kind of the that's kind of how the, the book was constructed and yep. and the way it looked worked out. And and like I said, it was um, largely the credit of Janet Toma who helped me architect that. And she made me do all the writing, but um, she did a she did a really good job of editing. Because I think I had about 800 pages written, and it's only a 205-page book. Yeah, tear it all back, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of firewood exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. so Mike, when you when you think it's so interesting because, like, I even watch 
business owners that didn't intentionally want to run the company that they're running. Right. And then, then all these people are looking at them and they don't know what they want. And also on the other end of the of the the coin, when they transition, whether they transition their role or they actually sell the business completely, there's this what the heck do I do? And there, you know, the kind of your your stat about the 80% of the workforce, my, the one that is uh, near to my heart is Bo Burlingham wrote this book called Finish Big, where he said that eight, uh, 75% of entrepreneurs are unhappy 12 months after they sell their business, regardless of how much money they made. And through all my podcasts and my my interviews and research, it's it's because the owner, their identity is so tied to this business. And from psycho, you know, like very the very ingrained psycho psycho what it's what's the word? If you psychoanalyze them, I mean there's they're they they actually believe that the identity is their identity is in the business, right? Like who they hire, their customers that they bring on, the products and the services, the level of services, all that is a derivative of themselves. But then also if you do a brain scan, I don't know if you've ever heard this, Mike, but you, you like the business owner looks at the uh, a picture of their child and their company logo, and they actually have the same neurons light up. <laughs> so it's it's not it's it's true, and and they've many times the owner just thinks about the balance sheet or the revenue or winning the next customer, but doesn't necessarily understand that probably a lot of the exercises that you discuss are things that they never did and realize that they're getting fulfillment out of this business, this, this entity, this like living, breathing organism that is this community that they just, if to just have a sever, like sever the ties to it leaves like trauma, honestly, I think for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, which then therefore there's, there's a lot of people that I find stuck, which is a lot of the, 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 for the audience is how do you get going? But it's starting where you're talking about, right? Well, you have to figure out what you want first and then where do you get that currently? And then how do you get that? How do you change it over time? Yeah, it's really, um, it's a great, um, great point. And I, I actually wrote down the word you used, identity. So I, th- I think one of the things that, you know, one of the things that, uh, I mean, frankly, I struggled with is, you know, I was, you know, uh, at a point in my career, I was president of a $400 million company, um, about a thousand people. And it had just kind of evolved that way over time. We had grown from 40 million to 400 million. Um, we were having a lot of success. Um, I was helping to grow and open new markets and new countries. And it was, it was a great time. We had really good values, culture, but, um, what started to creep in on me is my identity was tied to my title. In fact, some people would, my friends would jokingly call me El Presidente. They, they still call me that. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, or the general, like, you know, that was the other one. So part, part of what I think we have to watch out for is we have to ask ourselves the question, what, what is my identity tied to? So I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with part of someone's identity if it's, if it's part of their gifting is to be someone who is, I mean, in fact, it's one of the, one of the gifts listed in, in the Bible is scripture is, is leadership mm-hmm. and administration. So there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But if, if, if for, for me as a, as a Christian business person, if my identity is in my title and, and my job first and not my identity in in Christ and Jesus, then that's where I get, that's where I've gotten off track. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, we're, we're just not going to find fulfillment for money. 
we're not going to find fulfillment from you know, the success that comes with or the accomplishment that comes with building a business and, and selling it. it. It's looking for the deeper meaning and what really, really brings us joy. And for some people, that can be being in these major leadership roles. But, but um, I, I think that's why when people, if their identity is tied to their title and their job, then when that job goes away, they're, they're lost. Oh, completely. And, 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 and like feeling a sense of mourning for whatever it was that they had, because now you don't have this business card that your friends at the campfire can call you El Presidente, right? You were the, the past president. <laughs> and, right. and, and in that, that, that same analogy and story, Mike, is, so that's like, let's say, you know, almost you have two different types of personality profiles here and not the, you know, bucket everybody just did too, but it kind of gives the contrast is, you have the egotistical individual that is doing it for the, you know, maybe not healthy reasons, right? Money, fame, cars, title, whatever. Um, and then you have the other person who uses, and I've interviewed a lot of these people in my podcast of the selfless entrepreneur that loves the leadership, gets really good gratification, personally fulfillment, but then also by leading and giving and using their business to change lives and the infrastructure. But then they ha- they think quote unquote, that they have to sell, which we teach that you don't have to because there's other transition uh, avenues like employee stock ownership plans or family transitions that can fulfill your legacy and continue letting you do those things without having to completely sever your relationship with an exit. And I think just most of the time people don't realize that afterwards and the people that are selfless realize, holy crap, I can't get all of my personal fulfillment from sitting on the chair of a board of a nonprofit, because well, I don't have the leadership. I mean, you have money, but you don't have the, the other tools that you used to have when you had a company. So regardless of what camp you, you, you gravitate towards, I think starting where, where you're talking about is understanding what you want and what gives you satisfaction. Otherwise, you're just going to be, something's going to happen to you and you, you're going to realize it after the fact. Yeah. I think, I think I like the phrase, you know, sometimes... I mean, my, my grandfather used to say things like, you know, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is, right? That's one. Um, another one is you can't have your cake and eat it too. So, you know, part of it is that when I went from Arthur Anderson and I went through this difficult period of having a new house, having a third child that had just been born, Olivia, and now being out of a job, it, it forced me to, um, to really think creatively about what we were going to do next. And what happened was I started, I had written down, I had actually read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of, of Highly Successful People, which is a great book about being intentional about describing, you know, that he goes through an exercise of write your, write your obituary, <laughs> right? I mean, it's yeah, a great exercise. It, it's a great exercise. And so, so, through, through those through those tough times is when when we um, you know we kind of realize these things. But I guess what I what I realized was I started getting phone calls from a company that was saying, "Do the consulting work you're you know, you know you know how to do you love to do, but just instead of traveling all over the world to do it, just do it in the city where you live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Actually, I live about thirty minutes north in Davidson, North Carolina, where the college is. But basically, the idea was do the consulting work you love, but, but be at home at night, uh, raising your family and, and, uh, getting to know your wife or your spouse. And so I thought, well, that sounds too good to be true. So it, it probably, it probably <laughs> isn't real. And it took me about six months of pain and suffering 
to finally give in and say, you know what, I'm going to go try this because it basically fits all my requirements. Um, I was taking about a 20% risk on my compensation, but if it, if I did a good job, it would be, I'd be whole. And I finally said, you know what, if I go try this and it doesn't work, I can go do something else six months later, but at least I can say I tried it. And so this is one of the big messages I have for people is, you know, anyone that's feeling, you know, really unhappy, borderline depressed, you know, just not feeling great about what they're doing is you are not stuck. So many times we feel stuck in our lives. Like, I mean, I can tell you when I left the $400 million company, you know, I thought as president, I thought, oh, well, I, you know, I can't leave this company. I've hired, you know, 500 people who are here. They're all counting on me, so on and so forth, which, you know, is, is somewhat true. But the thing about it was, it's like, I, you know what? Those people were going to be fine. If I was if I was really unhappy and very stressed out, I wasn't showing up for them the way I needed to. I needed to kind of get over myself and go figure something else out and and not carry this burden like I was carrying it around. So anyway, uh it's really it's really getting unstuck, I think is is kind of the key thing uh that I want to give people hope and encouragement around is you have control over this. You may not think you do right now, but you are in control. Of, of what you do. So there's a couple of things that I want to uh, uh, contribute to that statement because I think you're spot on with a lot of it, but there's some inherent challenges. So look, in, in just for clarification, Mike, what, so when you say you, you had the $400 million company and the thousand employees, is that at the one I'm, assuming, I'm connecting some dots here that after you went and started consulting on your own that you grew it up to that? Or is that, and maybe we can go back and fill in some of those gaps. I just wanted to clarify, like, when did you get to that point? Yeah. So let me give you the, I'll try to give you the, the fastest timeline I've ever given, but it's um, after I left Arthur Anderson, I went to um, a startup company called North Highland. We were, we were 40 million primarily in Atlanta. And then uh, I helped open a market in Charlotte. And then we expanded across the U S UK, and then ultimately partnerships in Europe and Asia. Um, that, that was what grew to 400 million. From that point, then I, I left there and it's chronicled in the book. I left there and started my own company. I did realize that I really loved growing and building things. That's something that I get a lot of enjoyment out of looking back after having been a part of that. And so that's, I went and started my own company. Um, after about three years of that, you know, Ryan, you and I, I think talked about this before we got on the phone. It, it, it's really, um, life is a balancing act. There's no such thing as a perfect situation. So (laughs) when I started my own company, I loved it. I mean, I loved the startup. I loved the fire in the belly. I mean, if you don't go out and make things happen, you know, your, your family doesn't, uh, your your kids don't go to college, you know, you lose your house, you know, you go into debt. It's very motivating, Uh, but it's also (laughs) very stressful, (laughs) right? So I hear you. I think, I think what happened with me during the next transition I made was from starting my own company called Independence Consulting was we ended up selling it to Point B. And really, it was a group hire. We, they basically effectively hired all 10 of our people that we had um, grown to at that time, about a $3 million business. And the reason we did that was what we realized, my wife Kelly and I, was we didn't start the business because you know we wanted to have complete control and make millions of dollars. We started it because we wanted to create a special work environment and culture and values that was the kind of place 
that not only we wanted to work, but that we felt proud to promote to others. And um, what we realized after three years of the struggles of, you know, debt financing and are we going to sell part of the company to raise capital? Um, how do you keep a, you know, a million dollar payroll um, going? All of those things, we realized, you know what, what if we could accomplish culture and values uh, and the reason we started it and, and join another firm that we think has that? And then instead of having 10 people, we'd have a thousand people again and we'd have more brothers and sisters to to serve clients with. And that's really, we had that kind of, I call it aha moment, but um, it, then really it's called, I call it a duh moment. I said, you know, there may be an easier way to accomplish what our real objectives are here without taking all the risk. That's when we moved to point B, which is point B, which is where I am now. Okay. That's awesome timeline. And I, and I think this tees up what I was going to ask earlier in perfect context, I hope is, all right. So Mike, when you were doing that, you got a $3 million company, million dollar payroll, and you had your daha moment. And this is about what you just said earlier in the previous comment before the story of being people are not stuck, even though they might think they are. Can you describe to me your daha moment? What was going on? What created that environment for you to shift your mindset? Yeah. And, you're, and you mean the one when we, when we sold our company to point yeah, B? Because you decided yeah. after that point, after whatever happened, like something happened mentally or was it like the payroll or the vendor or a client or your kid or something happened where you said, <laughs> did I hit on a couple maybe? <laughs> no, you just, I was, I was like, gonna, I was starting to make the list. Like I said, everything <laughs> in life is, is pros and cons. It's a balancing act. There's no perfection. So in the entrepreneurial world, yes, you have the stress of the payroll. You have the stress of you know, possibly, you know, debt that you've taken on personally, signing a three-year lease in our family's name and putting our house as the back for it, so on and so forth. But what, the reason I laugh is, is it those things every entrepreneur knows, uh, we live with those. But what really happened was about a year and a half into our three-year journey of starting our own company, I was goofing around in the office. And I bounced on one of those yoga balls, you know, that you sit on, supposed to sit on and exercise <laughs> while you work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. So this is like, you know, high level strategy consultant here talking to you. Okay. So <laughs> we had just finished a, a, a deliverable and I, and I was scooping around with the team and I bounced on this yoga ball. I fell backwards and, and basically my head went from, you know, standing position to, hitting the, the back of my head on the concrete floor. And oh I was awake gosh. for about another hour. But then I don't remember four days after that. I had a brain bleed. I had brain swelling. It was pretty traumatic for my wife and my uh, couple of my coworkers who were there. But basically, we had started a company and we had, we had actually had... We were having some success. We had two big clients. Well, what happened, um, four days... Four days of I don't remember with my wife in the hospital where they were about to take the top of my head off for a couple of days to relieve the pressure. Another 10 weeks of recovery and then waking up, you know, really kind of mentally waking up two weeks into this um, after the injury and going, oh, I, I don't have any clients anymore. I've got people that work, work with me. I've got a payroll and I've got to, once I heal up here, gradually over a 10-week period, I've got to get out there 
and uh, start start making hay again, we're all in big trouble. Mm-hmm. And so, so anyway, that uh, next year and a half was, you know, actually it was it was really productive. We did, you know, after a three month period, go out there and and land a couple of great new clients. We started getting things going again, and we were back at a point where we were breaking even and growing. And uh, we got to that point, and and we were thinking, in order to hire more people, we've got to raise capital. So we either take on debt or we or we uh, sell part of the company. That's really what that's really what was going on in that time frame. That uh, a shift in the mindset was. I'm a strategy person. I do scenario planning in my head. So so. You know, Ryan, we were talking about this earlier, like in situations like we're going through right now with COVID-19, um, I, I go to sleep at night. Usually I go to sleep early, like about 10 o'clock. And, it, and I dream about every, uh, every financial, economic lever, all the stuff that happened with my clients during the day. I might talk to 30 different clients in a given day. And then I'm talking to my teammates and what are we going to do? And so it... I'm scenario planning all the time and, uh, which is exhausting. <laughs> um, but, but I'll wake up in the morning and for the, for the first three or four hours, typically before anyone in my family wakes up right now, I'm taking those five or six things that I've frankly, I've, I've come up with the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. overnight and I'm actually getting those things done before, before the day even the day even starts. But that scenario planning was my mindset and just being open and flexible to finding a solution to the problem and not being, not being fixed in any like one idea on what that solution could be. So that's, that's what was going on in my, in my um, brain at the time. (laughs) Super good context, Mike, because the reason I ask it is I have personally struggled as I've been building this business for the last you know, a handful of years of trying to get through to entrepreneurs to we are, we're helping with this, you know, the, the education, the strategy and all this stuff on the back end, trying to help people get there. But it's, and it also starts with where you start, which is, that's why our first principle is your drivers. Like, what do you want? And the challenge that I've had, it goes back into like literally behavioral economics and where you literally hit your head and had it your head, your top of your head cut off. Right. And then you're like, okay, now it's action. So in my opinion, you were probably in that f- f- frying pan looking at the fire. <laughs> so like there was a, like your Daha moment was, you know, circumstantial with these different events and got you going. Right. Or like, I, I'd be curious if you thought if you were to run that scenario differently, how long you would have kept going before you would have finally realized the same exact conclusion. And the challenge is that how do we get people other than the COVID-19 or a health issue or out of the blue offer or a client leaving or all this BS that we all know is possible, but we have this blind optimism that has gotten us to become an entrepreneur to begin with. How do you shift the mindset to become intentional to avoid all that stuff and avoid the frying pan to begin with? And just, you know what I'm saying here? Like, how do you get through to people when things are good other than this, you know, having some, something happen. Yeah. I guess the, you know, I get, I guess for me looking back on it, I have, to, I would have to, if I could look back at myself in these situations and, and say, let's get real. Like if you could hold up a mirror, like, like I talk about a, a, a coach that I had uh, in the book named Terry Lurson 
And during one of these pivotal times, you know, I thought things were going well. And he, what he was doing is he was holding up a mirror to me and he was asking me, you know, basically, Mike, you think things are going well. Tell me about Kelly, your wife. How is she feeling right now? What does she think about what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And what if I, what if I said, what if my answer to that was, you know what, Terry, I haven't really even talked to her about this. I don't want to, I don't want to worry her about that. <laughs> and then we'd have a long discussion about why that is a bad practice in a marriage. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's so, good, good, um, point, good point. <laughs> so, 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 so I think, I think it's really like looking, if we look ourselves in the mirror and we can say, I am happy, my family's happy, the people around me that I love are happy. Um, if we can look at ourselves and look ourselves in the mirror and that is the answer to that, then I think I, I you know, I'd say pass further work as we used to say in audit at Arthur Anderson. <laughs> but typically if, if the statistics are real and I believe they are from the individual conversations I've had with hundreds of people is that 80% of people are not fulfilled. What, what we need to do is ask the deeper question, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the, what is the ultimate purpose of what I'm doing? And if, if, if the answer to that is sometimes we'll say things like, well, I need it. This is for my retirement. And this is an interesting one because, um, retirement, retirement is, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a student of the Bible. I try to be in there, you know, every day, not, doesn't always work out that way, but it's interesting because retirement is actually nowhere in scripture. Yep, I would, uh, yeah. Most most of the people in Scripture, you know, go down the list. Moses, for example, Noah. These are all people who were doing their best work in the in the last third of their career. Okay, so their career, which was like from the moment they were probably twelve years old until they until they died. <laughs> so there was yeah. no like period of time where they just didn't do anything uh, or re- quote retired and took on leisure activities. So, so I think, I think it's one of the false mindsets that's happened. Totally agree Particularly with you. in the United States is that we're going to, if we just sacrifice ourselves and build that entrepreneurial company and then sell it and we have a stack of money that somehow then I'll be able to do the other things that I, that I really find fulfillment from. Totally agree. And what I, what, I mean, what I would love to, you know, share with people is just that the things that we get passion and fulfillment around, you don't have to wait till you retire to do those things. Just try to do what you can now. So take a little bit of time and a little bit of money and put it into your passion projects. And, and by the way, the, the process that I lay out doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that at the end of that, you're going to change your job and you're going to go off and do something else. It just means maybe you're going to stay in your job, but you're going to have a different mindset about it. Maybe you're going to stay doing that thing because that's how you produce an income for your family, and you use that income to do other things that you that you and your family find passion uh, and fulfillment from. Yep. So anyway, it, it's just, it could be just literally a mindset change. I, I think that false retirement mindset is part of what uh, has has uh, hurt so many people in the last couple of generations that that quote retire and then they 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 typically don't live that long because they're not fulfilled and they're not um, busy and happy. And I agree with you, Mike. And I think there's so many studies coming out about our need for community and social engagement 
Because like, I mean, if we don't interact with others and have different situations, we don't have relativity and we don't have the ability to experience ourselves. And this is going way deep into my philosophical world, but like you need interactions to be fulfilled and to understand more about who you are to then therefore understand where you fit into the world. And like, so there's just so many things that I totally agree with you. And the, to go back to your looking in the mirror and the, the interesting, the interesting behavior things that I have, I have gotten to become familiar with where like you have human beings that their sense of commitment, right? So like, if you think about like your word, right? Or like your people's ability to trust you and to rely on you and all these different things are, are great, right? And if you use in the right context, but when I look at the trap that a lot of entrepreneurs get themselves in, Mike, is you say, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this company, whether it was on accident or on purpose. And now I've got people looking at me, they're relying on me. I got vendors and suppliers and customers and banks and investors and all these people the moment that I show a crack of weakness, the whole thing could come apart, right? I mean, like, and I'm generalizing here, but this happens a lot. So if someone agrees with you saying, I do want to look in the mirror, Mike, but who in the hell am I going to tell? <laughs> because mm-hmm. if I don't want to do this anymore, the whole thing falls apart, right? And so yeah. like, there has to be some major catalyst it, it, like in, in something that happens for that situation to change. And one more uh, note, and then I want to hear your thoughts on it is the, there's this book I'm reading right now called economics and good times and hard times. The two, two guys that uh, won the Nobel peace prize on it is it's freaking fantastic because they talk a lot about social and behavioral economics in it. And their whole first chapter, Mike, they talk about how they talk about this whole thing about immigration, but outside of immigration, what they found is that People literally will not move until there's literally, they call it the shark's mouth, until there's firefights and bombs. Like regardless of income or jobs moving in and out of their, their counties, because people's desire for, for stability and consistency and the, 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 the fear of the unknown is so high that they wait till it's so bad before they, they move. <laughs> and so like, then you throw that situation, which they, they found as fact with the entrepreneur. How do you, I don't know if that makes any, like if that lends any kind of context to my thoughts. And I just, I don't know how you can change someone's situation unless like, how do you get through to them? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause I mean, my mom used to always say this about me is I always have to learn things the hard way. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't learn from someone else's mistake. I had to make the mistake on my own. And so I, I mean, I don't mean to be crass, but I think sometimes we have to go through the fire ourselves. Unfortunately, it's, it's very difficult to learn that from someone else. You know, I, I've often wondered why, why it has to be that way. And I've asked God at times in my life, why? Why is this happening to me? I, I've tried to live a good life. I'm trying to do the right thing. So why am I, why am I suffering right now? And the only thing I can say is that now, like, you know, looking back, you know, five or 10 years removed from those situations, he hadn't left me alone. I experienced the greatest points of growth in my life when I was under that kind of pressure. Um, I'm not looking for it again. You know what I mean? I'm not like going, (laughs) oh, bring it on. But, but I'm just saying like, if we, if we lean into those situations, I, I, I think if someone I would love to meet the person that listens to this or that reads the book and then they they make the decision 
before they run out of money or before they have to sell their house or before they get sick because they're stressed out and working too much. I would love to meet that person because that would, I think you and I would both feel really good about that situation. It's just, it's just a rare bird that's going to read and learn from someone else's mistakes and then say, you know what, I'm going to try to avoid those and, and not experience those. Well, I agree <laughs> I with hope, you. <laughs> I hope someone out there, I hope someone out there gets that. And, uh, you know, cause some of these, some of these things were quite painful and I would love to, to help people avoid them. But I also want, when people do go through these difficult times, I, what I want them to not feel is I don't want them to feel alone. I want them to lean into it and leverage it rather than look at it as the worst thing that's ever happened to them. It could be a blessing. Well, and, and I think on that note, and I know we're, 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 I got a couple minutes left, is if we were having this conversation a month ago, it would have been like trying to stop momentum, right? because things were just great and people were able to ignore certain things. Now times are different and people need to make hard decisions. And I think this, this uh, COVID-19 and the economic impact that we're going to have from it is going to allow people to make hard decisions that they didn't want to make, even if they wanted to, because of, you know, just how good times were. So I think they can use this as an enabler to start the thing. So like, if you were, if you're, if you're someone that's listening to saying, okay, well, I, I agree with you guys. I do want to figure out what I want and what, what, how to engineer the life intentionally that I want with my business or what with or without, what does the process look like? I mean, and, and how do you start? I mean, what, what is the, the, some of the fundamentals that they need to take into consideration? Yeah. You know, I'm going to tell them to, to go by the book, the guided journey, right? That's okay. That's, 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 that's part of the podcast. It's, it's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, what we lay, what I lay out in the book is um, an eleven step process, and it really, it really is the process of being intentional about writing, writing your requirements from a bunch of different dimensions. So, it might be talking to your to your child, uh, your teenage child, about what they're looking for from you as a father or as a mother, and and listening. It might be oh, cool. talking to your spouse and asking the same question. It it might be sitting down and thinking about like what. What, what are the five or six things that I want to be remembered for when I'm gone? What are those things? So I actually lay out, I lay out um, what I did in the situation, my exact example, and then I actually give you space to do it yourself. So I kind of, it's, it's not just a storytelling piece. It's also kind of a how-to at each step. But I think um, the first half of the book is about writing those requirements for what you're being intentional about writing that. And the back half of the book are the steps you go through very practically to um, move towards making that happen. You know, if you want to say it, moving from point A to point B, kind of, kind of the first half is articulating what point B looks like. And the second half is then the implementation plan for making that a reality. So I think that's a great, great first step. And then if you're, if you're talking to the person that's listening and is kind of got a stomach ache about going down this journey, right? Like, okay, I get it, but like intellectually getting it and doing it are different because that stomach ache makes people not move when their city's under siege. So, you know, what, what's your, you know, your final thought about how to deal with that feeling and how to overcome that to actually get to experience what they want? Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I guess what I would say is, um, it's kind of like in the medical environment we're in is, is if you were under stress and you're not well, and someone said, Here, here's, 
here's a step-by-step guide that'll take you three hours to read. And if after doing it, you'd be equipped to do this, all the time and energy we spend at work every day is like, wouldn't you want to spend just a few hours to think through that and be intentional about it? Is that, is that medicine too tough mm-hmm. to, to figure out what your, what your other side looks like? So I, I would just say, like, I, I really would compel people just to give it a try. It's on ebook and it's also in physical book. Now you can get it on amazon.com, both in ebook form and, and physical book. And um, I did something a little unusual. I followed a, another author named Bob Goff, who wrote a great book called Love Does. I actually mm-hmm. put my, my name, my email, uh, and for folks to contact me as well. Like I said, I have a, a busy day job, but on nights and weekends, I look forward to hearing from people who, who go through the process that I've um, helped other clients through over the years. So what's the best way to get in touch with you then? The best, the best way is mike.g.lee at theguidedjourneybook.com. And we have a website called theguidedjourneybook.com. But really, I mean, before the book got published, we, had, we were selling books on that site. The site is more of a, a blog now because um, people can get the book directly from uh, their on, all online retailers. They can get it. And then it, it's in many bookstores as, as well. And then the ebook is also at a reduced reduced price. Mike, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your sharing your wisdom and your experience. And I think uh, if you know people need to spend this time reflecting, because I think coming out of this, you're going to have to put some effort in, no matter what. So I appreciate you coming on the show. You got it. It was great talking with you. Have a great have a great day. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike. Two big things is one, remember that next week's episode is going to be the first of intentional growth. The podcast cover is going to be different. The name is going to be different. So please don't disappear on me. The second one is check out our intentional growth assessment. Text the word intentional to 66866. You'll get the email with the questionnaire. It's 20 questions, multiple choice. And it's about recalibrating what you're focusing on to make sure that you're making the right decisions today. So that way you can intentionally go get what you want. Thanks for tuning in and I will talk to you next week.